fight, flight or freeze. We know how most people think they would or should react if they were subjected to an unexpected sexual offence. I'd like to think I'd fight back, but I'm scared that I would freeze. Uh, when faced with danger, I think I would fight. I'd run. I think I would try to fight. Fight, definitely? I'd like to think that I'd fight, but I think I'd definitely freeze. I think I'd freak out and run away. I'd hope I'd fight back. But I guess it depends on the situation. But what's the reality? The reality is that most sexual crimes are committed against women or children by a man who is a family member or someone they know in their own home. Historically, people have wrongly assumed that victims would resist or fight back or that they'd have injuries from a sexual assault or rape. Research and victim accounts tell us otherwise, turning on their head any notions of typical or normal reactions. You're listening to Unspeakable, a podcast brought to you by Victoria Police. This is the third instalment of our six-part series about understanding sexual crime. Throughout each episode, we are challenging some of the most common misconceptions about sexual offending. This topic can be confronting to talk about and for some people difficult to listen to. In managing your well-being, we suggest only listening to Unspeakable with people you feel comfortable with and giving yourself permission to pause and start again later if you need to. As further assistance, we will provide some support options at the end of each episode. What would you do if someone you loved or trusted, your husband, a relative, subjected you to a non-consensual sexual act or unwanted behaviour that made you feel uncomfortable, frightened or threatened? Would you kick, scratch and try to run away or scream? Physical injuries and resistance from victims in response to sexual offending happens a lot less than you think, for a number of reasons. That started when I was... Um nine and it was done in a way that was made to appear quite normal and it was part it, it became a routine and it wasn't wasn't scary and then when I got a bit older you know it's not right like I knew it wasn't right um, well because I was being told not to tell anyone but you also know yeah you do know that it's not right um this is Di Di is a wife a mother designer and business owner she is successful courageous and strong tragically she was abused by her father from the age of nine she's a survivor in every sense for some victims, to freeze or surrender means to survive or minimise the harm. It's automatic, it's human instinct, it's survival. This reaction is well known and understood amongst police and health professionals as counterintuitive victim behaviour, meaning contrary to common expectation. In fact, freezing is one of the most common victim reactions. 
I think it's so psychologically complex that it's not as easy as saying, well, if something bad's happening to you, why aren't you reporting it? Because you risk, as I said, losing everything, and especially as a child, to be completely abandoned by a family would be a horrifying prospect. When most people think of a sexual offender, they think of someone who's aggressive, a stranger or someone who would use force to get what they want. As we've explained, in reality, most sexual offenders have a prior relationship with the victim or their family. Also, most offenders don't behave violently during an assault. Instead, they might build trust with their victim over time, isolating them and priming them into compliance. As a result, their victims may not even realise that something inappropriate is even occurring. It's called grooming, and it can happen to anyone at any age. Following an unwanted, non-consensual sexual act, feelings of shock, fear, shame, and sadly even guilt can have a controlling effect on a victim. As a child, Di feared that disclosing the abuse would compromise her mum's safety. I was scared of her being hurt, of him hurting her, and I was scared that obviously I wouldn't be believed. I don't think you think you've got power at the time, but I think you realise if you say what has happened, then there is the possibility that you will lose what you do have of a family, that no one will believe you. She kept the abuse secret during her teens and into adulthood. Your options, I think, go through your head that, well, are you better just to keep it to yourself and then carry it and see if you can carry it on and it'll go away? Or do I disclose to somebody and hopefully somebody can help me? But it's such a an unknown that I think a lot of the time, well, I did, I, I felt safer not saying anything. Di went public with her abuse last year after her father was found guilty of multiple sexual offences. He was jailed for 11 years, seven and a half of which were non-parole. Di bravely shared her story because she felt it was not only important for her, but also for the wider community. Before reporting to police, she'd told just a few people about the abuse, including close girlfriends after high school, a former boyfriend, and eventually her mother. She was really upset. I think she was in disbelief. I think she was in disbelief because she didn't understand how she didn't know. Um, and I don't think she could get her head around the fact that anyone could do that because she'd had a father who was very gentle and very loving towards her. So, um, yeah, she was shocked, but she did believe me. Uh, but her reaction was, don't tell anyone. She was frightened. Um, and she didn't want me to not tell people for any other reason, I think, than she was scared that he might do something. I think there was a lot of that, it will bring shame as well. So, you know, what will people think? What would people think? Dyes is just one of many examples where fear of community perceptions has a debilitating effect on victims and their families. Since 1995, there have been three national surveys of Australians' attitudes towards violence against women. 
Through these studies, the Australian National Research Organisation for Women's Safety, or ANROSE, has tried to measure the community's levels of understanding of violence against women and their attitudes towards it. Violetta Politoff is a senior researcher for ANROSE. She spoke to us about the results of the most recent study in 2013, which showed significant changes since the first in 1995, including a decrease in the number of Australians who believe that domestic or family violence can be excused if the violent person is regretful afterward. Most Australians recognise that violence against women includes a range of behaviours, not just physical assault. So it's really important that people see that, you know, forms of economic abuse, emotional abuse do constitute partner violence. And people are beginning to understand that more. Um, there is a very high level of awareness that partner violence and forced sex in a relationship are actually against the law. And um, most people recognize that partner violence is usually perpetrated by men. We also found that most people believe that violence against women is quite serious and that violence against women, very few people are willing to justify it, which is really, really, really important. It also found a decrease in those who believe that women who are sexually harassed should deal with it themselves. It also highlighted areas of serious concern including that people commonly associate sexual offending with stranger danger, rather than a crime that occurs within a relationship or two people known to one another, which is in fact the most common profile of sexual offending. There has been a decrease in those who recognise that women are more likely to suffer harm and fear as a result of partner violence. And when you look at the personal safety survey, it asks about feelings of fear and women experience more levels of fear um, on the street and even at home. There's also a um, sizable proportion of people that think that there's a lot of circumstances in which violence can be excused. Attitudes like these indicate a great lack of awareness within the community and can help people to justify, conceal, excuse or minimise sexual offending. They can also stop people from speaking out about their experiences. But then I think when you actually have to retell someone, you realise how awful it is and how disgusting really and as soon as you and I think the disgusting aspect of it is what prevents people from saying it they don't want to say I know in my case I didn't didn't want to say what had happened to me because I was so ashamed and felt this you know this thing had been done to me and it was my it's your body and it's, yeah, it feels dirty and disgusting. So um, admitting that that's been done to you, I think is almost like admitting like you allowed it to be done. And I think there's a lot of that shame that you carry. I think a lot of the time you're questioning yourself as to why you didn't stop it. Um, why you know, there's the physical sensations that go with it and were you part of that or did you, um, did you incite some of that? Because Di had been groomed into compliance over time, a daily routine of sexual abuse became normalised, highlighting the complex nature of these crimes. 
Di's story is one of many examples of why presumptions about the credibility of sexual offence victims based on injury rates should not be made. Research tells us victims may be more likely to freeze or cooperate rather than fight off the offender and sustain injuries. We asked Carolyn Worth from the Southeast Centre Against Sexual Assault to tell us from her experiences why this occurs. You might remember her from episode one. Some people who've had childhood abuse and some young people we see, kids, adolescents, will actually talk about, well, they talk about it dissociating, but they also just almost freeze and just let it happen because there's not a lot they can do. They're not in control of this situation, so they just learn to just basically try not to be there and then, you know, get on with their lives afterwards. Carolyn has worked with many victims who've been groomed in a relationship and as a result either don't recognise that they've been offended against or blame themselves for what happened. Feelings that come after the sort of initial phase, people will often talk about, well, they'll deny almost that it didn't happen. People will often talk about, I don't think it really was a sexual assault. So even though they've come in because they're terribly upset about it, they'll still be saying, I don't think it was a real rape and I don't know why I'm so upset. Carolyn says while victims' reactions are wide and varied, physical and psychological, there are some common responses and feelings victims experience after they've been assaulted. Some clients or some victim survivors have disturbed sleep, so they'll keep rerunning it in their head just as they're about to go to sleep and they're relaxed. You know, It all comes back and they're really un unable to go to sleep. Some people have some trouble eating regularly, eating well, they're just really in turmoil altogether. A number of our clients blame themselves. I agreed to take the lift, you know, and I didn't really know him, or I asked him in for coffee because he dropped me home from whatever venue they were at, and I asked him in, so I really think, you know, that was my fault because I gave him the wrong idea, and you think, well, not really. I mean, it's, he got the wrong idea, and it's his fault. People are often embarrassed to talk about what happened. They're ashamed of what happened. They won't tell family or partners or relatives. You know, they won't tell friends even. And that's the obvious thing. Some people end up very anxious and get depressed. It's clear there is no normal or standard response. Detectives from Victoria Police's Sexual Offences and Child Abuse Investigation Teams, or SOCKETS, know this well. Once it happens, once people feel so shameful about what went on, that the more it goes on, the harder it is to say something, no one's going to believe me, all that. And that's reinforced by the offender and the way they treat them. That's Detective Sergeant Joanne MacDonald, who we'll call Jo. She's an experienced investigator who's worked at Victoria Police for 23 years. For the last 12 years, Jo has investigated sex offence and child abuse cases. She's incredibly well regarded in her field and her passion for the work has a lot to do with that. And I remember reading statements going, oh, I could never do that work. Put in, got the job and I've just like, I found my home. It's like I was born to do this work. And as soon as I started it, it's probably the only job, like it's quite horrific with what you hear um, in terms of the sexual abuse, horrific with what you see with child physical abuse. But the feeling of helping someone who is so vulnerable and and even it's probably better now that we we, we um, complete the investigations, do the warrants, charge the offenders, go to the trial, like we have the whole kind of closure. You feel like you're actually making a difference in changing someone's life, you're taking them out of an abusive situation. 
and you're protecting them. So I think for me, I just, this is what I'll do for the rest of my career. Like other soccer detectives, Joe has seen firsthand the effects on victims of not disclosing or reporting sexual offences. I have seen people come 40 years later from when the offence was committed. Um, so it's for them to even actually be able to report, it's about being safe and feeling safe. But the impact, I say to, to everyone that I speak to, um, it's like a, a scar on your brain. You're never going to get rid of it. It's always going to be there. And the effects can be so varied, but it's about, I think, earlier intervention is, is key um, and getting support is, is key and it. it's just working with them understanding it's not your fault. The message from Victoria Police is that sexual violence is a crime and is never justified. There are no excuses and the victim survivor is never to blame. Holding the offender accountable for their actions is important to many victims. My belief was, well, it's, it's just my word against his, there's no physical evidence. Like, I, you know, because I didn't report when that was happening, there was no physical evidence. There was no, you know, bruising, marking. So it would have been my word against his. And even after my parents separated, I thought, well, how am I going to prove any of this? And why would it be believed anyway? Because it would just be me saying these events occurred and him denying them. Not all victims seek justice through the court system, but for some like Di, it's an important part of the healing process. 30 years after the abuse, with the love and support of her husband, Di finally felt like she was in a position to report to police. As we heard earlier in the episode, she had disclosed to different people at various points, and some of them were able to provide statements. Jo explains why this is significant in historical cases like Di's. One of the questions we ask them is, who's the very first person you told? And it can be that they've told someone 40 years ago. Um, it's called a recent representation. So we can go to that person and take a statement from them. So it's not the statement's not about trying to say what the victim has said is true, but it's about verifying the story in terms of this is what they told me. And, and more so, this is their reaction. They were upset, they were this, they were that. Like So for us, people go, but it's historical, happened 40 years, it's my word against the offender's word. But there are other ways to, to help support that evidence that the legislation allows. So it's not just, oh, you can, it's only the first person. It might be that you've told one little bit to one person, another bit to another. You know, we, we chase all those kind of um, avenues of inquiries down. Absolutely, we do. It doesn't matter if it's 40 years ago. We, we get what we can. It's then up to the court to decide if these witness statements are admissible and determine their relevance to the offending. It's important to note that Victoria Police respects a victim's privacy and won't disclose any unnecessary information when speaking to witnesses. People are encouraged to discuss any concerns they may have with their investigators. For anyone listening who has had someone disclose a sexual offence to them, we know that it's difficult to know how to react or what to say in these situations. Di's advice is to just listen. People can listen. Um, I know it's really hard for people to digest and I know it makes people very sad and it horrifies people, but the best thing you can do is just listen to the person. I think just being open and saying that you're there to talk to again. What blew Di away was the response from police and other legal professionals. Um, one thing I found quite incredible was every time I told a police officer or 
somebody um, in sort of the legal um, fraternity that you come in contact with, the first thing they do is apologise to you. And I found that very... Um, yeah, I found that it made me cry every time. They'd say, look, I, I just want to apologise for what's happened to you and I'm sorry for what's happened to you. And I think having somebody say, I'm sorry, and actually acknowledging what you've been through is very powerful. Di feels like she's coping a lot better now and can see a bright future for herself and her family. Uh, there's closure as far as I'm not handing something on to my children. It's done. It's like that, that ugliness has been dealt with and I'll tell my, my children no, um, they don't know the detail, but they know that, yeah, my father's in jail because he wasn't nice to mummy. And, and I'll tell them one day exactly what, why, and I think at least they're not going to have to carry it on into their lives because I think that's what happens. You just pass it on. You, you pass the trauma on. And if I hadn't dealt with it, I probably wouldn't have been a very... I just would have been a very upset mum. Unspeakable is brought to you by Victoria Police. If you've been a victim of a sexual offence, please call triple zero or your local police station. For people who would like to speak directly with a socket investigator, we recommend calling your local police station. They'll be able to connect you with a local detective who is specially trained to assist and support you. For additional support, CASA's confidential 24-hour sexual assault crisis line can be reached on one 800 806 292